Welcome to Local Share Green Action Podcast. This show is produced by Go Green Locally, a 501c3 nonprofit providing tools and resources for people that are looking for ways to take even more successful local action that makes a difference for our people and our planet. Today on our podcast, I'm speaking with someone who's been using film, photography, and audio recordings to bring life to stories of action to share and connect people and place. I'm speaking with Laura Tomov, who is a director, a cinematographer, a photographer, and the founder of Media Hub Stories for Action. Stories for Action uses the power of storytelling to advance a thriving planet for all. Laura Tomov has always been drawn to sharing experiences with others to connect people and place. She has worked in the film and television world for over a decade, primarily as a cinematographer. This work has taken her around the world from peaks to ocean depths for documentaries and television networks, such as the Discovery and Travel Channel. She has also worked with organizations such as the Nature Conservancy and Environment America. Last year, she started up her own media brand, Stories for Action, with the mission to use visual and audio storytelling to create connections for healthy environments and communities to thrive. After too many years away, she has moved home to the mountains of Montana, where she's focusing her work for the next year. Laura has a bachelor's degree in film from Emerson College and a graduate certificate in sustainability from UCLA. Welcome to our show, Laura. It's an honor to meet you. Thank you so much, Jenny. It's so great to be here. Yeah, so I'm so excited to speak with you and learn more about your path of green earth-friendly action through storytelling with film, photography, and audio recordings that really unite people and shared visions of hope and action for a thriving planet. So what planted the seeds for you originally to want to start taking some kind of action to help the planet? Yeah, I, um, I grew up in Western Montana in the woods, in the mountains. So a lot of my childhood was in the wild, in wild spaces, and just kind of raised like a wolf puppy and had all wonderful childhood memories just out and about in it and really connecting to the land. And I'm, I'm fortunate that I grew up in that. And then also with my parents and other people that they had in their community that were really connected to the land and the well-being of people, you know, um, locally and around the world. And so I think that was always a part of our family conversation is is um, ailments that were happening in the world, as well as all the beautiful diversity that exists out in the world. And um, so that always excited me to be able to not only capture all of those beautiful things to share with folks who couldn't travel themselves or experience that but also to share stories that brought awareness to issues that needed to be addressed for the health of people in place. And I wouldn't say I thought about it that thoroughly as a child, (laughs) but um, it was definitely there that I wanted to embed something with being outside and, you know, seeing different cultures and different places in my work. And I went to school in Boston. Um, I love Montana so much, but when I was 17, I was like, I want to go as far as I can and (laughs) see other things. And I went to school out in Boston for film and with that mission to really use storytelling and the power of that to um, advance 
positive action for um, the planet. Nice. That must have been um, an interesting kind of culture change from from Montana to Boston. <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, I flew out by myself, showed up in a taxi at my dorm building and was like, all right, here we go. <laughs> but I think from the beginning, my mom always, you know, she was one to push us out of the nest um, to really teach us that lesson of putting yourself in uncomfortable positions. And so I saw it as that and was ready to take on the adventure and just loved getting to meet people from all over the world that I went to school with and also in the in the city and so many different cultures. And I enjoyed, really enjoyed my time there. So what excited you the most when you had completed your film degree and now you're ready to, to start your new career? Yeah, so... At Emerson, I had kind of shifted a lot of my focus to narrative film and really jumped into the camera world, working on student films and just fell in love with it. Um, I'm kind of a gearhead and a tech minded person. So to me, the camera department just married the techiness with the creativity um, that I also wanted to express. So I just I fell in love with camera. I, you know, back then we were shooting on film. Um, and I was interning in LA for my last semester and just stayed out from there and was working as a film loader on narrative film sets. So not as much the documentary world that I had originally planned to get into, but in college, I'd also studied in Central America for a brief time and backpacked through there and um, shot a super low budget just by myself with my Handycam uh, documentary there while I was traveling on the health impacts of chemical use in the um, Dolan Chiquita banana plantations. So that was just traveling solo through Central America. And looking back, I'm not sure how that all worked without, you know, smartphones and stuff, or even bus stops where it was like, just stand by this tree and a bus will show up eventually. And, you know, finding a payphone to call folks to interview and going to protest camps and just seeing the truth of what was happening down there with those stories and seeing how hungry people were to share these stories and just to let the world know what was happening. And I got a, a first glimpse of that responsibility of hearing someone's story and being the one to be, share it. You know, um, it is a big responsibility and, and I wanted to be able to provide that um, more in the future. So Going back to when I graduated, I was in LA and kind of bridging narrative, doing camera work for narrative films as a camera assistant, and then also some different documentary type work. And I started working on a lot of shows that took me to amazing places. And I'm so grateful for that. You know, a lot of stuff for different networks that I got to travel around and do a lot of like extreme adventure, you know, all over the world, um, in the jungles and the Arctic and all different places. And so for someone of my age, it was a great way to see the world. And that's, that filled me in that way, but it wasn't always content that filled the original reason that I wanted to get into filmmaking and storytelling. So then I, I from there, I, I um, was kind of bridging different worlds of, you know, Discovery Channel shows, that you know took me to cool places but also nice. working on documentaries that that continue to feed that that passion of, of sharing these stories excellent so did you have a lot of specific aspirations as to the types of jobs that you wanted to take on I think you were alluding a little bit to that 
did you ever kind of have a vision for where you really saw yourself in the industry? Yeah, I, I definitely wanted to steer back towards documentary. I think at the time it was like, you know, get established in your career, get money to pay rent in LA and that kind of thing. So I wasn't like picky or anything. It was, um, and they were jobs that took me to really great places and took me on adventures. And, and that wasn't anything I wanted to turn down. So I knew that I would eventually want to really be able to focus more on documentary. And whenever those came across my plate, I was really excited, especially if they touched on issues of, of you know, social environmental issues. Nice. Yeah, so you, you've traveled many different places. And would you say like a certain amount of them were maybe uh, more nature-oriented or a certain percentage of them were documentaries? Um, kind of both, you know, depended on the topic. And there was some, I'd say kind of both. I also became really kind of obsessed with marine biology. And that, that was actually a lost career path that literally up until... I was applying for schools. It was still like, do I want to do marine biology or film? <laughs> so in college, I um, got scuba certified mm -hmm. and was going to exclusively do that type of camera work, um, underwater camera work. It really became really focused on all issues pertaining to the ocean. I found out that that circle of folks that just do camera work underwater is really small. Um, and at least at that time when it was like still 35 millimeter film cameras, it was a small circle that it was kind of like the older dogs that had the reign of it. Um, mm -hmm. Now it's a very different landscape with the film world, with digital and, you know, okay. folks can be topside camera operators and underwater cam ops, no problem. They can make that switch back and forth. And so I kind of had that dual position of doing both kinds of jobs and was just really into ocean health and diving and you know, would volunteer with the LA Waterkeepers while I was living in LA and do, you know, different stuff for kelp restoration there and things that had nothing to do with film, you know, mm -hmm. just to, to be in it and to do what I could with spare time that I had um, to make an impact there as well. Well, it sounds like you really have quite a depth of, you know, from the mountains of Montana to the oceans and, um, and then coming from that kind of marine biology um, interests. That's, yeah. And then when you traveled to uh, South America and did the documentary, that is like a whole nother aspect of in the environmental movement. So it sounds like you've really had a pretty well-rounded um, base of experience. So what was it like when you would start a new assignment and be working with a new team maybe listening to and kind of translating everybody's ideas and vision for a film. What was that like? Yeah, I mean, definitely like it was different because when I was younger, I shot a couple of my own just one woman band documentaries. Um, another one that I did down in Peru in the jungles there where you're doing everything, you know, you're filming, audio, producing, logistics, and then come home and editing. And I was young and kind of naive. So I was like, yeah, this is what you do. And that, that is what you do to be a doc filmmaker is you just go out and do it. And it just, it's a lot to take on. <laughs> and I knew that wasn't sustainable. So when I would, the point in my career where I was exclusively doing camera work for these shows and um, different projects or, you know, as a camera assistant, you know, and you're manning all the gear and getting it from one country to the next and making sure everything's not broken and 
you know, you're out in hammocks in the jungle and monsoon rain, just trying to, um, you know, download footage and clean lenses and that kind of thing. So from even that assistant role to actually shooting as much as it was just to do that, it was kind of nice to just do that. <laughs> like this is my role is to, you know, everything with the camera and behind the camera. But in doing that, that in itself is a big role because you see a whole crew of folks that are working around you or that are back in the office and all the work that they've been doing leading up to it depends on what you capture in that lens, you know? So that's, that's pressure. <laughs> um, in good and also stressful ways, because also with unscripted content or doc content, you can't always get the shot. You can't get it perfectly. You can't get it, you know, yeah. that's the whole nature of it. And you can beat yourself up about that kind of stuff. Like, oh, I missed that line or I missed that golden moment. Or, you know, you're trying to think of a million things at once of, you know, that where the sunlight's coming from while you're thinking of the rain that's coming down on your lens, while you're thinking of that they're walking away and, and also trying to track the story and, and what you're doing. So I say it is one role, but I guess it's, it's a loaded role, <laughs> but I loved it. I absolutely love it. Yeah. Yeah. So with all of that experience, then you have started. Um, so at what point did you know that you wanted to start your own media company and what, what would you say was the leading reason or inspiration? Yeah, I think about five years ago, I was kind of getting to this point where I was seeing the perils of the planet and different social issues, the pressures getting higher and higher, and more of a need to only devote my work to that. You know, I was just seeing this like time ticking, right? Like many of us now see. And I, I don't know if I was getting a little jaded by like feature documentary films. You know, I'd see a doc film and be like, oh my God, this is going to change the world. Everything's going to, you know, everyone's going to see things clearly now. Um, and that film would come and go and there'd be a buzz and then people would go on with their day. Um, and a lot of times I was feeling like it was like often preaching to the choir with a lot of films, you know, the people that are going to sit down and watch a two hour documentary, um, they probably at least care a little bit about that topic or are on that page a little bit already. Documentary films are extremely impactful and we have changed so much through them. So don't get me wrong when I say that. I think I was just trying to like question if there was a different route and a different angle to address these issues. Um, and I love film so much. It wasn't a case of like, ah, I don't want to do this anymore. It was just like, how do I use myself as a vessel to accelerate the work that needs to happen to make these changes that we just, um, and so that's why I kind of stepped back from film and I enrolled with the sustainability certificate program at UCLA to just kind of get a taste test of different avenues to address these concepts and you know, I didn't know if I wanted to go into policy to address those things or go back to my original interest of biology and ecology. And that always fascinated me, you know, how all the natural systems interact with each other and the ecosystems. And so that opened my eyes to a lot of things. We also talked about, you know, sustainable business practices, equity issues, the intersectionality of sustainability, you know, and this was like, now it's, that's at the forefront of anyone who's talking about environmental issues, we 
are much better about talking about the intersectionality of these social issues with environmental. But even five years ago, that was almost a newer concept, unfortunately. So just all these things that I was just like screaming in my mind, like, oh my God, everybody needs to know these things. And we'd be in a better place if we all just like knew that these, you know, these new systems are out there, these alternative ways are out there. Like, let's get, let's get on that. And so I started working at the Nature Conservancy in LA, completely out of my element, kind of starting from square one, just assisting with different policy and science programming um, in LA. And I was really a, like it really woke me up to this concept of collaborative work because Nature Conservancy really harnesses that, um, and that's that's really, I think where they're they're leading and really creating a model for other organizations to take that on, where you know we'd have people from the mayor's office and Department of Water and Power and Transportation and us and so many different you know um, different community advocacy groups at the same table talking about how to improve the LA River and, you know, water resilience for the city and infrastructure and natural infrastructure and all of these concepts that benefited everyone at that table. And we all, not we, I was there kind of just representing folks or just assisting um, my bosses at the time, um, but just seeing things getting done, you know, that, and, and, and you could walk away from those meetings mm -hmm. where you'd have things that would benefit habitat and biodiversity and equity issues and water and power and the bus system. And um, that to me was just like, yeah, like this is where it's at. Like you have people that might standardly not be used to working with each other or not even like each other traditionally. Mm -hmm. They sit down and they get things done. And that just to me really inspired me of, of that model. And also when you know we look around and we see why we're not moving forward at the paces that we should be, it's, it is because of those polarizations and those divides. And so to me, I just had a lot of interest in taking the politics out of these issues and how do we move forward in a way that we can do it together and not necessarily, you know, the important mm -hmm. things by any means, just maybe not, maybe like compromising 100% how we thought it should be done, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? That we need more of that from all sides and so I was just really interested in that and so I would ask you know the scientists or the policymakers that I was working with you know where's the gap in this work that needs to be filled like I basically wanted to know like where can I come in and start building something that will accelerate the work that needs to be done and most of them would just look at me and say we need storytellers we need stories told and for a while I was like yeah that's nice I don't do that anymore <laughs> But then I, I learned that I needed to lean into it. And I, I loved storytelling. I loved the film world. And so yeah. how do I create this right. brand that uses short form storytelling specifically so that you can reach people that maybe didn't sit down to watch that two hour documentary film um, and that you can produce with a quick turnover rate. Um, because a lot of times with doc film, you know, you're working several years on one niche topic and that's important. It's really important and it, and it takes that time. But for the things that I wanted to touch on, I just wanted an alternative that worked at a little quicker pace um, to move with these issues. So in 2020, kind of right as COVID hit, I just did like a soft launch of a media brand and said, this is, we're going to try doing this and see how it builds, especially in a pandemic, like that's absolutely going to be interesting. Um, 
and just thinking of what it would be. And originally it was going to be primarily curating content from all over the place. So it'd be like a media platform from, of stories from all over the place. And it's kind of become more where it's primarily producing original content and then also curating and sharing stories from all over, not only on our website, but also on our social media handles. Um, I don't want it to be full of stories that are coming from my perspective by any means, because it's also really important to me to have people that are from those communities telling the stories. And if it's ever me telling a story um, of a community that's not mine, it's important for me to say, this is coming from a perspective of someone that's not a member of this community. But first and foremost, I, you know, it's important to have people from that community being the ones sharing that story. Um, and so whatever I can do to amplify those stories even further than they already are. Um, and that's where the curation component comes in. Excellent. So some of the people that you had met when you were working at the Nature Conservancy, did that kind of help you transition and kind of meet the people that you wanted to really share their stories and work to bring what they were really trying to communicate and kind of marry together your own insights and things of that sort? Yeah, some of them. Um, it was kind of right after I left Nature Conservancy, I was also moving to Montana. So I moved back from LA to Montana. Okay. So it was kind of, you know, some folks that I worked with there, uh, but also tracking the work of the Nature Conservancy in general, um, just because worldwide, they, they have that model of how they work. And so yeah, when I okay. started um, Stories for Action here, I, I was just going to start it with still having an you know, no borders to the stories that we were touching on and that I could write grants to get funding to travel and go film different stories myself, as well as curating stories from all over. Um, so I still wanted it to have that international reach. With the pandemic in that first year, you know, it's more just curating stories. And, uh, you know, I just started a podcast that summer just because I was like, this is a way that we can tap into people remotely. So that's how I started the Stories for Action podcast, um, which is now kept up. And I really love doing that. I didn't, I thought it would just be like a one-off. And I, I really love that avenue of being able to share stories and just talk with folks. I love hearing all these different, you know, walks of life and the things that people are doing. So that to me, I've really enjoyed. Yeah. And then this year we've been able to get into more um, getting out there and filming, but we have changed the focus to be within Montana for at least uh, this year in 2022. Nice. Nice. So is, and the new project is called, um, I think you, you mentioned earlier that life and land project. Yeah. So the, the documentary series, we're working on now is called Life in the Land. And that was a project that came about, I was approached at the top of 21 by a working group of folks from around the state of Montana who were involved in collaborative conservation work. So Nature Conservancy was one of them, WWF, different statewide and regional uh, watershed groups and collaborative groups around the state, but then also, you know, individuals, citizens, uh, ranchers, folks in different industries of working landscapes. Um, and they just wanted to further this conversation about collaborative work on the land in Montana because they knew it's happening and they knew it's been happening. It seemed clear that even residents here don't even know that this awesome work's happening. I think anywhere, like when we only see even our own home states or home homes through headlines and news, we do get the idea that we are completely divided 
Um, and mm -hmm. so that reality starts to manifest when we're only getting that view. So they were the ones on the ground doing this collaborative work. So they knew better. Like they knew like, no, actually, you know, that group that everyone says that we hate each other, like we sat down and we did this awesome, you know, river restoration project or we're doing really cool things with our grazing practices or, um, so it kind of started as just like straightforward conservation work. This series is capturing um, stories from around the state that, that are examples of folks working together on the land. It quickly became clear that it has to also talk about the local rural communities in these places um, and in these areas of working landscapes and the health of those communities is directly connected to the health of the land um, and wildlife habitat. And I think it's, it's a, it's a narrative that needs to get out there more, um, that it's not two different things happening individually, it's directly related. Um, like we we're saying that intersectionality and it's, it's really focused on relationships. Um, so people's relationship with the land and how we can improve that relationship and also people's relationships with each other and how we can improve those to, to make things happen for both the communities and the land. And of course that, you know, when you talk about relationships with the land, it doesn't go deeper than the relationships of um, indigenous communities with these landscapes. And so that's a big part of it too. Um, and we have one of the short films is focused up on Blackfeet Nation, um, really, really neat work that's going on up there um, where we hear from different groups and individuals um, just making good things happen for the land and the community. We have one in a forested ecosystem touching on wildfire and different things that come up in a forested landscape, you know, and timber industry and speaking with, you know, members of the Confederate States and Kootenai tribes and their forestry division and ways that they're bringing cultural traditional um, practices to their modern forest management plan and how folks can learn from each other, you know, and, and bring these new ideas to the table. And yeah, so we're, we, I've been filming that all summer and fall. Um, we got pushed a little bit with our schedule because mm -hmm. Montana was on fire this summer and also a massive drought. So the folks that we wanted to interview had um, extremely stressful summers. So schedules had to get pushed a little mm -hmm. bit. Um, so we're now deep in editing for that, and we'll be putting out the films, which will be four episodes, about 20 minutes each, hopefully completed um, in March, that we'll putting, be putting those out, as well as podcast episodes. Each interview will be its own podcast episode, so there's about 20 of those that'll come out um, if folks want to take a deeper dive into um, an individual's work and practices and, and really get inspired to, to carry these practices onto their own region, um, no matter where they are in the world, really, not just Montana or the West. Um, it's stories of community and resilience and, you know, looking at water issues and um, how we have to come together to address what's happening. It, it applies everywhere. So, yeah, that's a project that, that I've learned a lot and I've been humbled to hear everybody's stories. And it's, it's been a real honor to be trusted with those stories. Yeah, well, I'm I'm very impressed. It, it sounds like it's kind of an incubator for what's possible anywhere on the planet. Um, and you know, it's it's interesting. I haven't really heard it said much, but I mean, I think we know so many stories in the news about indigenous people that have been, you know, taken to schools where they were, you know, their culture was, you know, they're trying to strip their culture from them and 
and then I thought, gosh, I really hope that we haven't, they haven't lost this wonderful knowledge that they carried and like a treasure through generations. And it really warms my heart that there are people that are still able to carry those, those stories and that knowledge and bring that to what we, what we face today. So it sounds like amazing things are happening in, in the Montana area, which is excellent. I wanted to ask you, are there things that you do to help yourself stay open-minded and creative in terms of like what you're, how you're filming, how you're capturing stories, listening, maybe being open for what's within the community and with, within the culture? Yeah, I'm a news junkie. So, and I say that, you know, we shouldn't be getting all our information from polarizing headlines, but um, I think it's just important to keep in the know. But also that's the beauty of social media is that we don't have to just hear it from news headlines. That can be a double-edged sword, of course, with social media and, uh, you know, getting sources from that. But I think just seeking folks on there that are telling their story and, you know, for a lot of folks, it can be uncomfortable to hear those things. And especially if it impacts them or their own race or ancestors history, um, it can be uncomfortable to hear those things. But oh my gosh, it's, it's like a really necessary egg that's cracking open um, and overdue. And I think it's really important for us all to put ourselves in that discomfort and really listen, really listen to each other, listen to each other's experiences. And so I'm always seeking different folks to follow on social media that are devoting their platform to sharing those real, sometimes hard stories, um, but also stories, you know, like that, that was what I wanted to do with Stories for Action is share stories of inspiration and hope because that, that is what keeps us moving in the direction we need to move in. So that is my driver of the stories that I want to share. But of course, we can't just talk about rose, you know, look at the world through rose colors colored glasses, we have to look address the roots of problems. And so that can be trickier sometimes. But in order to do that, you need to seek out, seek that out. And yeah, just support and show gratitude to people that are sharing those sometimes really painful stories, or really inspiring stories too. You know, I just I just think it's really important to not follow folks that have the same (laughs) wheelhouse minds as ourselves. Yeah, yeah, that's critical. I like to see I think it's kind of a challenging time we're in because it's like there's so much that needs to be done, but we have to heal in order to move forward to really work together and communicate well to understand each other. For sure. So so what might be a challenge that you faced either as a cinematographer or in running an environmental related media and um, how are you overcoming it? Yeah, the, the part of the question on environmental media. I think especially with if your goal is to create action in a positive direction, it, it really requires truly listening and humility. Um, and especially if you're the one, you know, recording stories from someone else to really try as hard as you can not to go into it thinking you already know the story. Um, And I know that's hard to consciously do completely at least, but as much as you can. And I've showed up to interview with folks and we may have already had our minds made up about each other, that we may have come from like opposing parts of the state or political spectrums or anything. And 
10 minutes in the conversation, we might be, you know, crying together and having mm-hmm. these really deep conversations. And I think that just shows me that we just need to have more conversations with each other. <laughs> you know, somebody said like, we can shout at each other from opposite corners or we can talk to each other in the middle. And that's something that's, I think where a lot of the work happens, but again, not in a way that we compromise <laughs> the real things that need to happen. And, but in a way that, that we listen to each other. Also with a lot of these issues, they're so complex and there's so many layers to it. And what I've run into is it's like, you know, especially with this life in the land series, it's like, oh, we can't talk about that without talking about this. And then we can't talk about that without talking about this. And all these things are so complex. Um, And they're so different, even from one side of the street to the other, let alone from one neighborhood to the next or one town to the next. They're so complex. And so I can sometimes pull my hair out being like, how am I going to tell the story of X, Y, or Z? And I need to remind myself that I'm not telling the story. I'm telling a story or I'm sharing a story. I'm sharing a perspective of someone, you know, like I said, it's important for the people from a community to be the ones to be behind the camera in sharing these stories. And so that's something, especially with indigenous communities, I make a point to have when I can, if I'm not just by myself and that's all I had the budget for, I'll... I mean, not that I often get paid, so it's not even like that, but um, just scheduling wise, if it has to be just me, then I will do that in a pinch. But it's important to me to have where I'm, I just want to be the person pushing the record button. Um, if I can't have somebody from that community themselves, there doing that. And as much as it's, it's hard to be completely, you know, we'll always be who we are asking the questions, telling the story, right? But as much as I can, you know, just go into, into it with humility and, um, make sure that I'm getting consultation from folks within that community at every stage of the storytelling, um, I think is it's important and something we need to take time and um, budget for. Yeah, very well said. So what are maybe some of the ways that you and others are enjoying the rewards of your work? I think you've already shared some of it, but maybe some surprising aspects that maybe you didn't expect to be experiencing in this project. Yeah, I think sometimes I'm a one-person band for the most part. Um, Sometimes I feel like I am in a vacuum or I think that, oh, no one is going to listen to this or watch this or I'm not one for like hip, new, flashy, you know, Gen Z videos. I watch them and I get why they're catchy. It's just not my style that I produce. Um, So sometimes I think like, oh, is because it's not done in that style with like, big flashy letters and like in your face TikTok style. Is anyone gonna watch or listen? And so it's nice when I hear folks that it does really speak to or that it really resonates with. I think we all have different ways of telling stories and we all have different ways of stories that we seek out that we wanna digest ourselves. So yeah, it's tricky when you're working solo. That's why I hope to build up stories for actions so that I can get partners and a team and that I can regularly work with. I don't know if that actually answered your question, but. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, so one of the reasons I um, actually wanted to ask about what might be some of the challenges that you face as a cinematographer. So I think the going knowledge these days is really pushing people to use video to express themselves or to, to share what they're doing. And I think a lot of people 
hesitate. Um, they feel self-conscious or whatever. And I think, you know, you have such a vast background in cinematography that, you know, maybe sometimes some of the really basic challenges that you face as a cinematographer might be something that's kind of brand new to somebody who's trying to capture a story or or a perspective. Um, and then maybe like what some of those are could be as basic as just, you know, really trying to find the right time of day. And when you're really talking with people, when they feel relaxed and like they feel open to discussing an aspect of something, maybe a little bit of what how you're kind of setting the scene in a way just to help people feel more comfortable when you are getting ready to to talk together or to discuss something. Yeah, um, I think like especially when I'm doing interviews or seeking out story, you know, and having those initial phone calls with folks, um, sometimes it's, you know, puts you on the spot when you, you're just cold calling people, but it takes perseverance and um also, you can kind of put people off when you just like jump right into like, hi, I'm media and I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to put you on the spot, you know. Um, so it's I think you have to be conscious about navigating of just being a human being and not media. Right. And I've never really seen myself as media, per se, um, but that is technically the line of work that I'm in. That's your person who is interested in what they're doing and every person that I've spoken with that's genuine. You know, I genuinely want to know what they're doing. I'm, I love, I love this place. I love my home. um, And I love the people here. You know, I think there's, I'm fortunate with this brand that I'm able to steer the direction of the stories that I tell. So I am genuinely want to know, and I'm genuinely inspired by that person that I'm calling. And I think folks, when you give them a chance, they like to talk about what they're doing. You know, even folks that might feel a little self-conscious, like when you prove to them that you're genuinely interested and you think what they're doing is super cool, (laughs) they're willing to open up and be really proud of what they're doing. And they don't, sometimes people don't get a chance to really show that pride and, and share what they're doing. And I think to me, it's an honor to be the one to share that with other folks. Yeah. And, and, Sometimes there's a lot of issues going on, especially, you know, for folks that are starting out and the way that media is going with gear getting a lot cheaper and, you know, you don't need these big crews anymore. Like what I came up working on and with big tanks of cameras, you can be one or two people that show up with small camera kits doing it and you'll have things come up all the time, especially here, you know, filming in central and eastern Montana or up on the Rocky Mountain front, like wind is insane and <laughs> you cannot interview in high winds, you know? And so you'll get things set up, you'll schedule it out, you'll all show up on the day and then you have to call it and you have to be really flexible and, and really gracious with the people that take their time to share that story with you. You can't just show up and say, you know, you know have an attitude of like, I'm doing you a favor, you know? <laughs> Cause you're not, you know, and, and, um, you're there, you know, there to share your story with someone is, is to be vulnerable and they've decided to do that with you. And so I think you need to be gracious of that and humble with that. And so even when things get really stressful and it starts sleeting and, (laughs) you know, you have that one day to get all your shots and it literally, you know, you get rained out. It's constant putting out fires sometimes 
and maybe I shouldn't say that because in Montana that can literally be the case but it's just you've you've got to be like water and you've got to flow with anything that comes at you and you will go into your day you'll go into your shoot with all the things lined up and everything scheduled out and you've checked the weather and you've checked where the light's going to be coming from and stuff will come up there will be wrenches thrown and so you have to find a way to be okay with not getting exactly what you were planning to get <laughs> yeah um so if your ideas and your experience and your wisdom were all wrapped up in seeds of potential action for you to give to others and other states and cities hoping to cover in their area, what advice would you give to someone that is also considering this? Um, I would say kind of like the things I just mentioned, you know, to, to go about sharing stories with the respect that it deserves and to really recognize the responsibility that it is to share someone's story. I think there's also like things are so different now with, you know, TikToks and cell phones and, you know, that it's so casual to share story. But if you want to be the one going into impacted locations or geographies or communities, recognize the responsibility that you have with that and also seek out people within that community to partner with you to share that story. Um, or fully give the opportunity to them. <laughs> yeah, I think do it with respect. And I like, I'm in a place where, you know, I don't work for a big media brand or anything. So I don't, I have the flexibility to, you know, send the podcast to the person I interviewed before I put it out to make sure they're okay with it. Or, you know, with if it's a, it's a bigger film piece or something that I'm putting out there, you know, to get them to okay it. Because it's sad. I've heard from a lot of communities who are misrepresented and they tell me specific instances that they had with traditional media and they didn't recognize how much they got burned until they saw it in print. And that just, it breaks my heart. And yeah, you have to recognize that that's the scape that you're in when you're, you're in that world of sharing stories that you need to prove that that's not how you're going to operate. <laughs> yeah. If some ways it almost feels like being smaller and not having have a lot of financial backing that might also be attached to other things and other groups and other corporations that that might be a real advantage and then that you can just be quiet like you're saying and humble to really listen and also hear what's really happening because i would imagine some places where you go and you meet some people people from the outside might think that this person is the one that's really calling the shots and whatever. But when you really get to know that community, it might be this other person or this other group. Exactly. That. Yeah, that's very true. It's that, that point of, you know, going into it without having the story already in your head. Yeah. So, so what maybe resources have been helpful for you, like a book or a website or a film that's been particularly helpful or inspiring to you um, as you've gone through the years or maybe you're early on as well? There's a lot because all these things too, they inspired all these little nuggets. You know, I'm also like a big nerd for soil health and <laughs> yeah, so there's different things that get me jazzed about that. But I think in general, a film that I watched last year, Gather, documentary film, which I'm, I'm glad to see how much it's really gotten a lot of attention well-deserved. I think I'll just use the example of 
that film just in the way of you know in that that film touches on historical trauma to indigenous communities and how they're reclaiming their culture and empowering themselves through food sovereignty and it's it's so beautiful and it's to me it's just the story itself in that film is what's so as far as acknowledging the traumas inflicted on indigenous communities in these lands and those who are indigenous to this land as well as the strength that I I I've, I've seen it in all over so acknowledging the trauma and the harms that have been inflicted the reclaiming of that um, of their cultural values that as much as folks who are non-native like myself can step up to help to advocate for that and to just show up and say, I'm a vessel, I'm a tool, use me how you want and not come in and say, you know, with your own interest at heart, just show up and, and make yourself of service to empowering those communities, um, empowering mm -hmm. those ways of life, empowering those relationships with the land because it's so desperately needed for tribal or for native and non-native. Um, and I also use that film as an example because that in the way of storytelling is what we need. We need to talk about the hard things that have led us to this point. We need to talk about the hard roots of problems like that film does paired with the strength that's going to grow and that is growing out of humanity to make really amazing things happen. And I think if we can use that, that model to guide us in our vision of, of, of a world that that we want to be a part of in a world that we can help to, I don't want to say create because we're not creating the world, but <laughs> that, that we can, a society and, and a way of interacting and, and being with each other and being with the land, that society, just visualizing that empowerment of us coming together to create that, I think is what we need to, to touch on the hard, hard truths about the roots of these things and come together and move in a good way forward. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how can people contact you and find your work, your um, films and photography and, and podcasts? Yeah, so you can find the site storiesforaction.org and you can view different videos that are cur curated from all over as well as our podcasts um, and then some of our short films and then also follow on Facebook and Instagram at Stories for Action and Twitter, I'm not as active on there, but uh, Twitter stories number four action. And then for the Life in the Land project, we have a, have a page up on the storiesforaction.org site um, that you can check out more information. And we are in final stages of fundraising for post-production on that. And with contributions are tax deductible, we have a very generous match grant right now. So donations would be doubled. Um, so if folks are interested in, in being a sponsor for that project or supporting it in any amount, we have that going as well. Great. So. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing, first of all, all that you're, you're doing and, um, and just all that you're doing working to uh, unite people together in action and really sharing it. And I also think that by helping people to have a voice and to share that voice, um, you're also part of helping it to happen. So thanks for all that. Thank you. Thank you so much for your work and your organization. It's to me, that's just like, yes, that's exactly the types of things that we need. So thank you so much for making what you do happen. <laughs> 
If you haven't yet visited your local Green Online Hub, then please visit gogreenlocally.org and check out the directories for events, groups, businesses, online resources, and local support listings for your area. If you find something is missing, then let us know or just log in and add it. These are community free sharing directories.